Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. And today's episode will be continuing on this theme of historical cycles and patterns. So in the previous episode, I covered lots of different thinkers over the ages who talked about various patterns and cycles that play out through history, through civilizations, these types of things, and went over at least the basics of a lot of these different people. So if you did not listen to the last episode, you might be a little bit lost, but I think you'll still be able to follow everything that I cover. You just won't have any reference point to all of it. You'll get a lot more if you're coming out of what I covered last week, and that should lead us right into what we're doing this week, which is breaking all of this down and putting it together into a framework of the ages of man. So mankind, civilization, society has gone through uh, various ages that have different characteristics and unique attributes, different strengths and weaknesses, different things that were more dominant and less dominant. And I broke this down into the age of survival, the age of religion, the age of empire, the age of economics, and the age of science. So that is what today's episode will be. We'll be covering each one of these ages. What are the characteristics? What are the ruling methods and goals? And how is that society and that culture characterized? How do they view nature? How do they view religion? How do they view all of these kinds of things? And it gives us a really good picture of why things are the way that they are. So on one hand, you could look at history and say, uh, see how what has played out over a certain time period leads to what happens next. And at the same time, you can look at these different ages and see how a theme of an age leads a society or history to a certain point and how these these do operate in a cyclical way to an extent and in a pattern. Now, the caveat that I will give is that I believe time and history and all of these things are both cyclical and linear. And what I mean by that is that time does progress in a line in a way where it is moving forward and things are progressing, societies progressing, technologies progressing, and a lot of this does happen uh, linearly. However, at the same time, there are aspects that are cyclical. There are aspects that repeat themselves over time, and they go through these cycles that repeat over and over and over again. Now, some people go full circular and say that time is a circle. Some people go full linear and say that time is a straight line. And I would say that time is a corkscrew as far as how we're going to look at it to understand it, how it truly is characterized, how history plays out, society progresses. It's something that does go forward, but it goes forward impact patterns, in circles, in cycles. And that would be at least my personal viewpoint. So to give you an overview of kind of how I'm approaching this, I took all of the different frameworks and ideas and thoughts and concepts out of basically all the people that I covered in last week's episode, and probably a few that I did not. I'll mention, for example, the Panopticon. I didn't talk about that last time. I'll mention 
I guess some other things. I forget what else. I guess I don't mention Plato for once. So I didn't cover him last time. So that fits in just just right. So there may be other things, some of my own thoughts that I am putting into this. But in general, my own personal opinion, perspective, my own contribution is in bringing all of this together and connecting it all together. And the content is coming straight from all the people that I had talked about before. So you should recognize that, but just know that if you did not listen to the last episode, uh, all the things that I'm saying to describe a certain age, they are all coming from these frameworks and uh, this information that came from these people over the ages talking about history and society and all this kind of stuff. So let's just start off. I will start off with the beginning. That would be the age of survival. And if you look at the biblical pattern, this would be from the time period of creation to the time of the flood. From a more secular perspective, this would be the time period of early man. This would be pre-civilization, at least pre-civilization at scale of any kind. And this time period, this age of survival, is one that is ruled through authoritarianism. So this is a time period that is much more tribal. It's much more, I guess, broken down. It's not as organized. But at the same time, typically there is a leader. And that person is the one that is making the final decisions. It's a very authoritarian type of rulership in a way. So the archetype for the age of survival is the commoner, and the commoner would be just the the basic man. And as we're talking about pre-civilization, the individual is definitely the predominant role because there is no organized society. You might have the family and you might have a village of some kind or something like that. But as we get into uh, these later time periods, when you get cities and civilizations and you get these larger villages and tribes that are more organized, that's shifting us into the next age. So the current age is all about the commoner. It's an ideational age. It's an age that is much more mystical It's much more focused on the immaterial, and there is... Uh, it's it's a very religious age as well. This is the idea of Gemeinschaft, where it's a much more local and relational society. This time period, this age of survival, is one where people are in league with nature. Nature is something that people work with, that they're a part of. They have a healthy fear and respect with nature. They also, at times, worship nature. At times, they are uh, ones that are using nature. This is the time period of, let's say, the land producing without much labor. They're not necessarily farming yet. They're not uh, rounding up cattle and having herds of cattle for themselves. They are working with nature the way the natural system operates. They're moving with the herds. They are gathering. They're the hunter-gatherers. The land is producing without labor, so to say. And this would be a, a, a society that's more optic or audible, a society that's more rhizomatic. So what I mean by the optic and audible, that would be McLuhan. And this is a society that's more focused on, I guess, the the immaterial ideas of what are behind things. So they look at nature and they don't just 
see uh, in a visual sense what nature is. That's not where it ends. They perceive nature as being much more. There's a lot more. There's a spiritual component, an immaterial component. It's not just about what you can see. It's more about uh, what you can sense, what you can hear, what you feel, these types of things. It's much more immaterial, and that fits with being an ideational age, a mystical age, and being this optic or or audible society. This is much more rhizomatic, where there isn't necessarily a clear structure to everything. They don't have a clear structure to nature. I mean, nature is all about chance. Nature, uh, the effects of nature are not ones that can always be predicted. This is a time period where you don't have the organized city and the organized government. It's, again, more rhizomatic, where you have uh, picture a root system or picture mycelium for mushrooms, where it's something that is colonizing and spreading and moving in a place that you can't see, whether it be uh, in a log for uh, mycelium or underground for a root system. And uh, those that mycelium or the roots, they can get split off and start their own things, or they can be separate and then join together and form one large colony in this place that you cannot see. They can shoot up and sprout physical manifestations here and there. But we know that that physical manifestation, that sprout or that fruiting mushroom, that's not the bulk of what is really there. The bulk of what's really there is under the surface. It's what you can't see. It's the immaterial. It's the spiritual. It's these kinds of things. So that's the way that society is viewing the world. This age of survival is all about the will to live. It's all about survival. It's about fulfilling your base desires. You have these needs, and most of people's time is filled with satisfying these needs. You have these material needs, and that's what you're satisfying. But again, it's not strictly a material age, even though that's where most of your time is focused on. This is an age where the main method of achieving goals is force, and that's pretty much all you got. So if you want to hunt and you want to eat meat, you've got to kill that animal. If you have a rival human or a rival human tribe next to you, then you might have to attack them or defend yourself from them just through sheer force. It's all about brute strength. It's the idea of might makes right. And this society is structured, when there is structure, in a very tribal way. This is a very religious age where, again, everybody views the world as having these immaterial and spiritual components. If you go back to Khaldun, he talked about how you have the Bedouin societies and these societies that are out in the desert and kind of the wild men. And this is the age of the Bedouin. This is the age of the nomad. This is that age. The technology that develops in this age is tools and agriculture. So again, as we start off, they don't have organized agriculture. They don't have a whole lot of tools. But by the end of this age, they have developed tools. They have developed these methods of agriculture. And I guess this is where I should mention that these ages are not clear-cut. Societies aren't clear-cut. There are times when a certain population or a certain place on the globe or a certain tribe is in a different 
age or operating under a different age than the one that the majority of the world is under. And there's a lot of overlap between ages. We'll get into that in these mixed ages, like what's coming up. But uh, just to give that caveat here, uh, the technology is a good example of this, where uh, this technology doesn't exist at the beginning of this age, but it is definitely in play at the end of the age. And it's part of what propels us into the next age. And uh, with this, you have these shifts, you have corruptions of one age that then will lead you into the next. And uh, the, the will, the dominant will in the next age is the will to make. And so if we look at the current age that we're in, this age of survival, or that we are covering at least, uh, this age of survival is all about meeting your material needs, your base desires. And what they end up doing is shifting over to using the will to make, using creation, construction, making things, creating things in order to satisfy the will of this age, the the will to live, this this age of survival. And so they're using the the drive of the next age to achieve their current age, and that's part of what pushes them into that next age and why it's characterized that way. The religion of the age of survival begins fairly pure in a way where people have these legitimate uh, feelings and views and perspectives. Again, it's a very immaterial age. So uh, people in general are looking at nature and nature isn't just what you see. There's so much more to it. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot that is unknown. And this is more pure at the beginning of the age. And that starts to corrupt as well near the end of the age, which leads us to the next age, which is the age of religion. So we'll get into that in just a second. But also, when dealing with nature, the way that they worked with nature, where they're very in league with nature, it also leads you at the whim of nature. It leads one to want to do something a little different with that. Instead of just working with nature, what if we could conquer nature? And so even though at the beginning of this age, people are very in league with nature, they're very in tune with the natural world and following those systems, near the end of this age, again, with this technology of tools and agriculture, they're starting to uh, move into the, uh, I guess, the perspective of the age of religion, the next age, and that would be to conquer nature. And you can see how that corruption is starting to come into play, which leads us into the next. So let's just go ahead and look at the next. That would be the age of religion. This would be, if you look at the biblical pattern cycle that I talked about last time, from the period of the flood to the period roughly of Moses. This would be historically from a secular view, specifically the early civilizations. And these were generally theocratic. Theocracy is the main way that these civilizations are organized. The archetype for this age, the age of religion, is the warrior. This is an idealistic age, uh, idealistic meaning that it's mixed between the material and the immaterial, between the sensate and the ideational. So we're coming out of the ideational, now we're adding in some sensate. So coming out of the purely immaterial, adding in some material. And this is an age of chiefs and kings. 
This is the natural evolution, if you look more linearly, with how societies progress, because you're starting to, again, get this technology of tools and agriculture. So you start to have civilizations that start to develop. And with these civilizations, you have these leaders. And it's a corruption of the previous age, that authoritarian drive, you start applying that at scale, and you scale that up. And the way to do so is by using force. But force is the dominant method of the previous age. And in this age, we are going to shift into the method of cunning. So you have this this mix. It's a mixed age where you have the idea of the warrior and conquering and these cities that are starting to develop these early civilizations with chiefs and kings. And so you have this aspect of, uh, I guess you're still having that force that is being applied and being used. But you see what becomes dominant in the age of religion is its theocracy. It's using cunning in order to control a population instead of just forcing them to obey your will in a very authoritarian way. You are creating this religion. You're creating this system. You're getting people on board through these more cunning tactics. And that is how you are managing this population. This age, the age of religion, it, the, it's all about the will to make, the will to construct. And this drive, the will to make, is what pushes the idea of having these religions and theocracies. It's this whole idea of of mixing the immaterial with the material, because again, we are in this mixed age. You have the physical things that you create, that you make, that you construct, but you are using them in this immaterial way. So you have a material society, an early civilization, but you're going to manage it through this immaterial means of religion and theocracy. So it's this mix of the two. You have order that comes through power. And uh, this power is, again, both physical and immaterial. It's a mix. You have the technologies from the previous age really starting to dominate in this age, the technologies of farming and mining. You have societies organized around cities. This is when cities become a thing, and you start getting the idea of the city-state and these early civilizations. The technology that is developing in this age and rules this age would be centralized government and organized religion at scale. So there was some religion. It was an age of, uh, I guess, a more religious age in the age of survival. It was very immaterial. But these weren't really at scale in an organized way. These weren't religions that ran an entire civilization. But in this next age, the age of religion, again, Everyone is a corruption of the previous and leading into the next. There's this flow that happens here. And in this age of religion, you start to have this technology of organized religion and centralized government combined. So it's the physical and the immaterial combined at scale. So you have these civilizations, you have these cities, it's not just these small nomadic tribes. Now you have this organized 
uh, structure that is happening at scale on both a physical and a mystical plane. So this is all happening at the same time. And the corruption of that will play out in the next age. And so the shift that we start to see here is that they're using... As this age of religion progresses, it starts to use the will of the next age, the drive of the following age, the age of empire, and that would be the will to master or to control. And these things are starting to be used in the age of religion early, preemptively, because one leads to the next. And the way they are being used is that uh, they want to satisfy this will to make, which is the main drive of the age of religion. They're creating these structures. They're creating these cities. They're building physical things as well as uh, immaterial uh, structures and systems. But In order for these to work, you have to run them. You have to control them. It takes a lot of management and organization. And this leads us into the will to master, the will to control. And so while in the age of religion, that starts to come into play and starts to come into prominence, it's the next age that is overall characterized by that will, the will to master. I had mentioned how the corruption of the previous view of nature in the age of survival led to the perspective in the age of religion of wanting to control nature. And that's really what they're doing. When you create a city, the whole idea is that this is a picture of protecting these individuals from nature and the whims of nature by providing for them through these physical structures as well as these more immaterial structures of larger scale agriculture and providing for the life beyond through religion and these kinds of things. So the idea is that as you progress through this age of religion, you are starting to conquer nature. You're no longer strictly at the whims of nature. You're starting to use the technologies of the previous age of tools and agriculture in order to conquer nature. That's the idea of farming and mining and building cities. You've got the the idea of garments of skin, which is a kind of fractal pattern that I stole from Jonathan Paggio. And the idea is that as you clothe your yourself with animal skins, this would be kind of age of survival language here, the same pattern is true on a fractal level as you get more macro as you get into the development of cities where uh, you are clothing yourself with an animal skin to protect you from the elements, to protect you from nature, to uh, give yourself an edge up, a leg up on the things that you want to do. And a city is just that on a macro level. Instead of on the individual, you have a garment of skin around a society, a group of individuals that protects them, that helps them to be able to do the things they need to do. So while the age of religion is all about conquering nature, this idea of understanding nature starts to come into play, especially at the end of this age, because in order to fully conquer nature, to fully be supreme over nature, you have to 
you have to understand it. You have to know how it works. You have to know the ins and outs of it in order to truly conquer it. And this also takes us into the theme of the next age, the will to master. This, uh, this idea of conquering nature now starts to get applied towards conquering men and populations when we get into the next age. And that's, I guess, what we'll get into right now. That would be the age of empire. Now, the age of empire would occur according to the biblical pattern and cycle. It would be between Moses and Jesus. So if you think about this on the large scale, uh, this would be the large scale empires. This would be Babylon and Egypt and Rome. These early civilizations uh, naturally in a linear way ended up evolving into larger empires. So instead of being a smaller city or a city-state, these early civilizations, you start to have these empires where certain groups will conquer many other city-states and regions and small civilizations and create these larger-scale civilizations. And as you can tell, I think, these build on each other, where it's similar things from the one before, but evolved and usually uh, applied at a larger scale. And that's what's happening here. Now, the the theme of these empires is autocracy, where it's all about someone, an emperor, ruling over these this large swath of land. So kind of similar to, again, as we go through the evolution here, similar to the Age of Survival with authoritarianism, except that was on a much smaller scale. That was on a micro scale. Then you get into the Age of Religion, and you have theocracy, where you're starting to apply this with the evolution into cities and small-scale civilizations to a larger area, but it's the system that's running things more than it is the person that's running things. Things. You get into the Age of Empire, and now it's the person, and it's at a larger scale. This is when you get into autocracy. That makes sense as we're shifting ages from the immaterial into the material as well, because the previous age, the Age of Religion, was a mix of the material and immaterial. It's the idealistic age, and uh, you notice that there is a mix of the rulership of men ruling over larger groups of men. That would be a theocracy, but it's a mix of of the men and the system, the immaterial thing, the conceptual thing. That's a mixed form. Whereas in the Age of Empire, it's the emperor. And it's pretty concrete. It's pretty arborescent. So the in contrast to the earlier Age of Survival that was rhizomatic, as I explained that, the Age of Empire is much more arborescent, where it's like a tree. You clearly see the structure of the tree. You know what every part of the tree does. You can see that it has the branches, and it has the leaves, and it's got the trunk, and all of these things play a specific role. There is a, a structure to it that's very clear. It's very plain. And this fits in line with this age that is very linear. It's very rational. This is the age that is under the archetype of the thinker. This is an age all about the material. So the age of survival is immaterial. The age of religion was mixed. The age of empire is fully material. This is a fully sensate culture. It's very rational. It's very linear. 
Again, it fits along with that idea of being very arborescent. It's against the mystics, if anything. So if you think about Stoicism and Roman philosophy, a lot of that is very different than the much earlier philosophy that talked a lot more about the gods and about the grand narratives and these things going on behind the scenes, the spiritual aspects. You get into Roman philosophy, and a lot of that is much more concrete. It's much more rational and logical, focused on all those types of perspectives. And so, whereas in the last age, you had order through power, and it was about order because it was the will to make that was driving things. It was creating these systems for order, and you did that through power, used force and cunning, and that's how you attained your order. Well, in this current age, the age of empire, it's power through ideas. So it's the it's the ideas, it's the logical, rational thought that gives one power. Things are very efficient, very effective, very rational. That is how things are done. That is how the culture is oriented. And with this, they utilize force and cunning. They don't just focus on force like the Age of Survival. They don't just focus on cunning like the Age of Religion, but they meld the two together very well. Again, it's a very rational, logical thing to do. You use both to their full advantage and apply them both in the ways that they fit. That's what they do. And like anything else, I guess I didn't give the caveat in this episode at least, but all of these things always exist at all times. So, Force is always used at times. Cunning is always used at times. Skill is always used at times. But in certain ages, different aspects are dominant, just like the material and immaterial. It's not like there aren't any religions in this very material age. It just means that religion is not the dominating factor in that culture, whereas in an immaterial age, it often is. It's something mystical or spiritual or religious. So getting back to this age of empire, uh, they do use force and cunning combined together very well. It's now all about, as I alluded to earlier, understanding nature. And again, this makes sense. It's about being very logical and rational and understanding how things work, having a scientific reason for why this happens, why that happens. Whereas if you go all the way back to the age of survival, the immaterial age it was highly connected to a spiritual interpretation that there were gods or beings or some other mystical force that was behind the occurrences in nature. Now, as we get to the material age, everything is, uh, at least the attempt, is to have everything understood on scientific terms, where everything is explained, everything is understood. And even if they don't, they know that there is an understanding to be found, and that's what they seek and so th that is the attitude towards nature in this age of empire. The overarching drive is the will to master. It's the will to control. As I said, as we evolve into these things, it's not just creating these systems that do control and you have to control in order to have these systems successful. Now the overall goal is not creating the system. The overall goal is to control the people, period. It's about controlling a population. It's about mastering as large of a group as you possibly can. This is the age of empire. It's a very gazelle shaft type society that would be cosmopolitan with a lot of bureaucracy, very secular, a lot of cultural corruption. This is the idea here where it's, it's the picture 
structure of the city. So as I said, the Age of Survival was like a Bedouin society. The Age of Religion was kind of mixed as they started to form cities and started to weaken in a way, if you go from the Khaldun perspective. Now the Age of Empire, it's they are the city, they are completely the city, and they are starting to corrupt as a city. And that's what's going on in the Age of Empire. That's where we are in that cycle. This is a culture that is very haptic or very visual. So if you go back to McLuhan, that's the idea of being very linear, being being very rational, straightforward. It is what, what it is, and you can see what it is. It's very clear. It's very plain. It's very arborescent, like I said. Again, this is a very secular society because it's focused on the material. Even the religious aspect, you go to Stoicism, where some people would apply Stoicism to being very similar to the book of Ecclesiastes and the writing writings of Solomon in the Bible, that was a very stoic set of writings, but the majority of the Bible is much more in the immaterial, spiritual, um, that type of worldview and perspective. Whereas in this time period, you could go to Stoicism as an example that became very popular, especially in Rome, and that was something that was uh, very logical, rational, straightforward, clear thinking. It's not about all these things that the gods are doing to you. It's about you do what you should do, what you're good at, and live a good life, be good to others, period, done, you're done. And that's it. And it's very clear. It's very straightforward. And so that is the the overarching feel for this age. The technology that becomes very important in this age is the technology of organized military. And in addition to this, you could also say that it's efficiency and scale to these structures that were created in the previous age. So the previous age, the technology was centralized government and organized religion. Well, as occurs with each age, those become uh, evolved and become just a part of the next age. So this next age, the age of empire, um, you do have centralized government. You do have some organized religion. But again, it's a material age, so we'll focus on the centralized government because that is the dominant aspect here. And that becomes starts to become corrupted in the form of empire. And you get this new technology of organized militaries and standing armies and things like this. And they are one of the driving engines of the spread of empire, of really manifesting this will to master, the will to control. It's being done through this technology of these new militaries that are uh, much larger scale and much more effective than the, the smaller scale ones, definitely in the age of religion. And as I said before, they're using force and cunning. So while they are much more deadly, much more effective, much more efficient, much larger at scale, they are also much more focused on strategy. This is a time period when when you get to warfare, strategy starts to play a very important role. And you have people that that is their job to strategize military tactics and things like this. So that's what's going on here. And as we start to see a shift into the next age, we see the, the will, the drive of the next age being used in this age of empire. So uh, the next age is about the will to take. And in the age of empire, that's, of course, what's happening is in order to master a larger 
area, a larger group of people in order to really spread your will to master or control, you really need to use this will to take. You really need to take property. You need to take control of people groups. You need to take a city and take a population. And that's what they're doing. They're taking them. They're acquiring these people in these regions and um, this geography, and they're hoarding it up as a giant empire. And these are the wills uh, that are become dominant in the next age, but you are seeing them come into play in this age of empire. And as we go through the idea of what is their perspective on nature, they now understand nature, but as you gain more and more understanding of nature, you start to be able to apply that understanding. Some would say that's the difference between knowledge, then understanding, then wisdom. And we are in this understanding stage at the Age of Empire, moving into the wisdom stage of being able to apply that understanding in some way. And that brings us to the viewpoint of the next age where the idea in relation to nature is to exploit nature. And they are now beginning to be able to do that because they they saw nature, they worked with nature, they conquered nature in the age of religion, they started to understand nature in the age of empire from a material scientific perspective, and now they start to use that and exploit that in the following age, the age of economics. When referring back to the biblical pattern and cycle, the time period of the age of economics goes from roughly Jesus to modernity, or you could say from the end of Rome till the very recent past. This is a time that is much more modern. It's a time that we all are much more familiar with. The overall way that society is organized and how the power dynamics are structured is through plutocracy. It's more of a meritocracy. It's not necessarily the autocracy of the Age of Empire. We have run one ruler at the top who rules through cunning and force, creating this entire empire. The Age of Economics, it's more about people that are using skill in addition to force and cunning, people that are building up wealth and power and influence. These are the people that are really running things in the age of economics. The archetype for this age is the merchant, and that should fit right in here. It's a mix of the material and the mystical or the psychological, the material and the immaterial. So we're coming out of a purely material age in the Age of Empire now into a mixed age again. This is an age of markets and trade, of materialism and consumerism, an age of pollution. And like I said, the idea is that they want to exploit nature. The last time that we had an image material age, a mystical age, that was all the way back at the age of survival, and then the age of religion was mixed. So as you see that we went from the immaterial in the age of survival, mixed in the age of religion, to material in the age of empire, now we're going mixed again in the age of economics, and the next age, the age of science, will be back to the immaterial, the mystical and you would possibly think that, oh, we'll go back to the way it was in the age of survival, where people are oriented towards working with nature. But no, that's where the idea comes into play again of these things being cyclical as well as linear. So the pattern is the same, the material to the immaterial, but how that is manifested 
is linear and it scales. As you can tell, these things have scaled up in each age and they have built on each other. There have been corruptions of the previous and evolutions as they progress. And that's what's happening here. So even though the age of economics is a mixed material to immaterial age, that's not to say that they're shifting back into orienting towards nature. No, they are shifting back into oriented t- orienting towards man-made immaterial structures, not the natural order in the natural world. And we'll get into that more in the age of science, because that's when that really starts to manifest. But if you go to how things are done in this age of economics, it's governed by the will to take, which could also be said the will to acquire or the will to hoard. And again, this does match very well with the archetype of the merchant. This is an age where the those at the top are manipulating people for material gain, and that is the goal. The goal is to get people to buy your things, to do what you want them to, to predict how they're going to behave, and then you profit off of that. And you can do that objectively, where you can just know what's going to happen and profit off of those gains, but it works even more to your favor if you can manipulate Uh, the process so that you can take more control and make more gains. And that's how things are going in this age. It's a mix of the sensate with the magic of money and finance. So again, we're coming out of the material, the physical, and some of that is still there. If you think of materialism and consumerism, the whole idea of capitalism, it's about goods. It's about goods and services that are being traded, and this is a big part of what's going on in the age of economics. And that's the physical side. But again, the same mixed age, the immaterial side are these new structures, the way that they are using finance in particular, and things like uh, loans and interest rates and uh, making money basically out of nowhere. You have the creation of fiat money. And this is a time period where you have this magic of money, where money is doing things that only sentient life could do before. Or you could say that only God could have done before. Creating something out of nothing, that didn't happen apart from God. Well, now it does, because that's how money works. And the same with trying to control the future, or actually controlling the future. That wasn't something that men did before. But now, when you talk about borrowing money and paying interest on it, getting a loan or doing an investment, that paying off in the future, you are getting material things, whether that be money or physical goods, ahead of time. And that is then corresponding to something that happens in the future. So future efforts, future goods, future money is paying for current things which, again, is something that didn't really happen outside of the gods and uh, that type of idea. But now that is starting to happen. It's, it's a very magical thing when you really get into it from that perspective. And that's what's going on in this age of economics. That's that mixed aspect. And as you get into how this is manifested on a societal level, I can bring in the illusion of the panopticon here. So if you go to the panopticon writings of Jeremy Bentham, he was an architect and an engineer, and he developed this 
prison and then expanded that to multiple other types of buildings, schools and whatnot, medical facilities that uh, followed the same mentality. But the idea is that you actually have a physical building with physical characteristics made out of material components. But the way that it is designed and the way that it is built and put together, the rhetoric of it, so to say, or the logic, I guess, the logic of this building is something that is paired with the actual rhetoric of a psychological component where uh, you play on people's psychological habits and the effects that you can have on them. And so the example here is that one of the features of the Panopticon is a tower in the center, and then there is a circular shape of a courtyard right around the tower and then cells that are right outside of that. And all of these prison cells are facing inward towards the tower. Now, the tower is never lit in such a way that the inmates can see in. But sometimes there's a bit of a backlight when the warden is working on paperwork or something like that. And so they do at times see shadows and shapes up there. So they know someone is up there or or some people are up there. There's also a, a system set in place where the warden can speak and it can be heard in a specific cell or throughout the entire structure. And so it's this omnipresence and you never know and he can be right there or he can be everywhere. And it's, again, it's this idea of things that used to be only for the gods, now they are man's. And this whole structure is built in this way to maximize the psychological effects so that you can control this large group of people, an entire prison, with only a handful or possibly only one worker that's running the entire thing. But it still works. You don't have to use force. It's not about force. Again, going back to the Age of Survival was force. The Age of Religion was a mix of force and cunning being dominant. The Age of Empire kind of perfected this combination of force and cunning. And the Age of Economics is bringing in this idea of skill as the main method. And skill is something that is more immaterial, but it's about using material things very well. And that's what's going on here. And again, a mixed age. You mix the physical with the immaterial. That is the idea of the panopticon. It's a physical reinforced with the psychological. And that would be the age that either we are in or just coming out of. And that's that's just how you could describe, say, governments, or how you could describe maybe even big tech in today's world. You're you're always being watched with your online activity. You never know when someone is going to see what you're doing. And uh, there is this omnipresence of big tech where they're gathering all this data from you and you don't even realize it. You're not sure when you're being tracked and when you're not. You might modify your behavior on what you post on Facebook or Twitter because you might get kicked off or someone might see it and flag it and something, there might be some kind of consequences. And so this is the idea of, of the panopticon. Now, when we get into the technology of the age of economics, the main technology that gets adopted and becomes dominant is the Industrial Revolution. This is the big deal. So if you go back to Ted Kaczynski, this is the end of natural man and natural society. This is the beginning of technological society. So if you look at technological society as an entity, 
then this is when that entity takes the reins. This is when that entity begins to rule all of society. Technological society is now what runs things, and it will perpetuate itself as it needs to. You could say it has a consciousness, or you could say it does not. It doesn't really matter. The outlook is the same. So if you go back to Venarmani, it talks about this, about the city as a god. So I think he used the example of the city of Athens. Now, the city of Athens had a god, Athena, and Athena was associated with Athens, and there are certain character traits of Athena that are applied to Athens. And Athens as a city was something that uh, the people were oriented towards these character traits of Athena, and the things that went went on in the city would correlate to these characteristics of Athena. So they would they would act in concert with the god of the city. Now, if you look at a modern corporation, then uh, then applies this to the the corporate idea, a corporate entity. So a corporation is something that is the same thing. It's not a person. It's not ran by a single person. There are giant corporations out there where No one that was alive when they started is still alive today, but the entity still exists. The entity is something that exists apart from the people that participate in that entity. That entity has a character. It has characteristics. It has features. It has uh, things that are associated with it, and everything that goes on within that corporation goes on under these characteristics. It, It matches with the characteristics of that god of the corporation, so to say. And so from an ancient perspective, you could look at corporations like gods, and that would be very similar to looking at a city as having a god. So you could say that, say, big tech is a god in a sense. And uh, that would be the idea if you apply that more broadly to the technological society. The technological society itself is not a person It's not a consciousness, so far as we know, it's not a true entity, but it is, it's something. It it is an entity of some kind, and it might not be a sentient entity of uh, of a nature that we could easily relate to, but it it's something. It has a structure. It has a character. It has these things. It has goals. It has needs. The technological society, in order to continue and to grow and to expand, which is one of its characteristics, that it always expands. It always grows. It always goes forward. And that is something that happens. And it's not because certain people push it to happen and really want it to happen. And there's someone, you know, driving things from behind the scenes. That's not really it. It's that the technological society itself is perpetuating itself. It has taken on a character of its own and it is acting in the world in some way, which is uh, really interesting, but it definitely fits with this idea of being a mixed age of being an age that we're shifting into magic and mysticism, spirituality, these kinds of things, these immaterial, ideational things. We are shifting into them. We aren't in them completely, but we are shifting that way. And with this shift, they are using the the uh, drive of the next age, which is the will to know, 
in order to maximize the will of this age, the will to acquire and to hoard. So what they do is they want to get as much information as possible. They want to know as much as possible in order to meet this main drive of the age of economics, this drive for the will to take and to acquire and to hoard. And that's what's going on here. So that's the main one, but they are using the drive of the next. And that starts to shift as you get into this next age into the will to know being dominant. And with this, there is no respect for nature. Uh, That's being corrupted as well. So uh, the whole idea of the age of economics being about exploiting nature, when you get towards the end of this, you get to where there is absolutely zero respect for nature. You're coming out of this very material age in the age of empire where we learn to understand nature. We we developed science as it exists in its modern form. We understand that there is a reason for why things happen in nature. There are systems, there are connections, and uh, there are ecosystems, and we can understand these things on a molecular level, on um, a level where we can use microscopes and we can use computers and all these things to understand uh, how nature operates. And when we understand that, and then we start exploiting that, using that for our own gain, and that takes hold throughout an entire age, by the end of that, there is no respect whatsoever for nature. And it becomes, let's just change nature. We understand it, and we've been exploiting it anyway, so let's just change it into something that works well for us. And then we can again, work with nature, be in league with nature, like the last immaterial age, the age of survival, but it's on our own terms this time. And that is what we get as we shift into this age of science. And that is the age that we are either in right now, or we are about to shift into, or we are in the middle of that shift. It's somewhere around now. And that takes place between now and the future, so to say. And so that is the idea of the age of science. It takes place now and in the future. And the overall structure is under a structure of technocracy. That is the main thing that is running this age. Technocracy is all about using technology and data in order to manage resources and manage populations from a fairly objective scientific perspective but doing it uh, through these immaterial means of technology, algorithms, AI, these kinds of things. And so that's the whole idea of the age of science. And it's really uh, the, the evolution of this idea of corporations as gods. So if the corporations are the gods, and you could say even big tech is a higher god than the god of Facebook or whatever, then... As you get into technocracy, the gods really start to take power. So in the age of economics, the state still had a lot of power, but the corporate world also had a whole lot of power. And there is this mix between the state, which is a much more 
uh, material thing, a much more hierarchical thing, an arborescent thing, and then corporations, which are much more rhizomatic, much more immaterial, much more ideational. And it was this mix of the two that were dominant in society. And as we shift into the age of science, into technocracy, the corporations are the ones that run things or something out of the corporate world. You could say the the nonprofit foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Gates Foundation. You could say these worldwide groups like the World Economic Forum or uh, Davos or Bohemian Grove, those types of groups. Or you could say it's the corporations themselves. You could say it, it may be a conglomeration of these, like the military-industrial complex, big pharma, big tech, these kinds of entities, so to say. Basically, what is running things in this age comes from that world, not the world of politics and a hierarchical state. And uh, this does mesh well with what age it is. This is the age of the commoner. It's back to the archetype of the commoner. And so with this, I, I think you've probably seen that there are a lot of these commoner movements that have been going on in the past few years or the past decade or few decades even. You could see the beginnings of that in maybe the 60s and 70s anti-establishment movements, but those really started to uh, get revamped in around 2000 and the early 2000s. And you had things like Bernie Sanders and Ralph Nader, Donald Trump. You have the rise of populism all around the world. And these, like the Yellow Vest movement, you have the Hong Kong protests. There are all kinds of things that were going on, even in Canada, the trucker protest, uh, GameStop, that whole scenario where a bunch of people, uh, just random people on Reddit, mostly ended up uh, manipulating the markets and uh, basically beat out a lot of hedge funds that had massive shorts on GameStop and a few others and made a bunch of money on that. And they were common people, so to say. They're under the archetype of the commoner, all of these movements, because the commoner is what runs things. That is what runs things in the technocracy. Again, even just the way technocracy operates, what it's doing is it's running off of technology and algorithms and information and data. Well, all of that is coming from individuals. It's all about the data from these individual people in the society. And so it's, it's the commoners. It's what the market wants is what you get. The algorithms learn what you want and what you want to see, what you want to buy, what you want to eat, and they provide those things for you. Again, you are the commoner. You are the one that are you're the one running things in this age. This is an age where everyone has a voice. And if you think of the idea of the internet and even uh, the the echoes of this shift would be back to the time period of the Reformation with the printing press, where more people had a voice, and that was kind of the the beginning echoes of the internet in today's world. You have this idea of the global village, and that was something that McLuhan talked about a lot, where you have everybody uh, on a global level can be connected, and everyone can have a voice. All these individuals can be connected together, but they're doing so in a more village-like uh aspect. And so with this, you end up with a village type feel, but on a global level. And so you have individuals interacting together, building relationships together. And this type of thing, people feel more relational and more connected. But it's it's not just this physical uh, village that is in this small geographical location. No, this is the global. 
And that's what's really going on here. So McLuhan talked about this even before the internet. And with the internet, that that really solidifies all this. And it really matches up with the idea of Gemeinschaft. So we had Gesellschaft in the Age of Empire that was all about uh, the cosmopolitan city that was very haptic and visual and arborescent, secular. And so now we get into, we had the mix in the Age of Economics, and now we're fully in Gemeinschaft, which was all about the village life, the tribal life, all about relationships and the family unit and bringing people together on a personal level. But with this, it's not natural. Like I talked about in the previous age that we're shifting into this where we are shifting into these things, but not on a natural level. Again, it's not a physical village. This is happening in the virtual world. It's the internet where these things are happening. Totally immaterial, which fits the immaterial age that we are in here. But this is uh, manifesting in this idea of Gemeinschaft, this idea of having a more village, a global village. It's the internet. It's Gemeinschaft. It is spiritual. It is ideational. It is immaterial. It is rhizomatic. That's what's going on. So it's not natural, but virtual versions of these things. So again, echoes and similarities to the Age of Survival, the last totally immaterial age, mystical age, but now they are totally on man's terms. Age of Survival was all on nature's terms. Now we are all on man's terms, or at least that is the goal of man, and always has been. Man always wants to be God. And so with this, this is a tribal age. This is an age where you have identity within a group. It's, it's not necessarily about the self. And so uh, that's the idea of the archetype of the commoner. You can go back to the age of survival as the same way where people were organized in tribes and family units. They identified with their tribe, with their family unit. It wasn't an age of individualism, so to say. That's not the archetype of the commoner. The commoner is someone that is part of a group. They are part of a family, part of a tribe, part of a nation. They identify with that group. And I would say we live in an age where people definitely identify with these groups, whether it's the LGBTQ plus alphabet community, or whether it be the Republicans or the Democrats, or uh, maybe it's uh, the group of, you know, Muslim or Christian or whatever it is, people really start to attach themselves into these little segmented groups. But now they are spread out virtually across this mass number of people. And when you get these millions, if not billions of people that become involved, then you can get groups that are very obscure, but still have very high populations of people that can now connect. I mean, how many people would have been in uh, some kind of obscure group back in a time period when you had a village or a city of a few thousand people at the most? Well, not very many for things that were very obscure. But in today's world, when you're polling a population of hundreds of millions of people, then those numbers do start to go up. Again, everything scales. That's the linear aspect of going through time here where things are scaling. Now, the age of science, as I alluded to earlier, it's all about the will to know. This this is all about being gods. We want to know all things at all times, control all things at all times. 
all about the will to know. And according to William Henry Smith, he talked about how this is the best drive of humanity, that these other drives that we had before, the will to live, the will to make, the will to control, the will to take, these things are things that you can see in the animal kingdom. You can even see these in nature, that animals have these different desires at different times and these different drives and instincts. Those are more the instinctual part of humanity. But the will to know, that is something that is much more human. That is something much more unique to humanity. And that is something that doesn't necessarily have the same negative connotations as the other things. The the negative connotations of just dealing with your base desires and the will to live, pleasure-seeking, that kind of thing, or the will to make or construct these uh, systems can be thought of in a negative way, but you really get more negative as you get into the will to master and to control if you're applying that to a population, just like the will to make. When you're applying that to a system that runs a population, that's not necessarily a positive thing. Not necessarily a negative thing. It can go either way. But definitely the will to master or to control a population, not viewed in a very positive light. The will to take or acquire or hoard or steal. These are things that are often not looked at in a positive light either. But the will to know. This is the idea of the philosopher kings. So I guess I will call out Plato here. This is how his perfect society was set up. Whether or not he was giving a warning or an instruction manual, well, it's kind of like 1984. There are arguments on both sides. But regardless, the society that he depicts is one where you have these philosopher kings that have all this knowledge and information and wisdom. They know a lot about many different fields, and they're applying that fairly objectively to a population, but in a way where the population doesn't have a whole lot of say. They are highly censored, highly controlled, and the philosopher kings run everything. And that is the ideal society that's depicted in Republic. And that's the society of the technocracy. That's what's going on here. It's all about manipulating or changing nature. It's this idea of creating our own version of nature, creating our own world. We are ones, the ones who can start a new creation, and we can be our own gods, we can set our own rules, and this can all be done virtually now. And again, this is an ideational age. This is an age of feelings over facts. So this is a point that's been brought up a lot with uh, COVID-19. When that hit and all of these facts and this data started coming out where it wasn't as deadly as they were saying, there weren't nearly as many people that were dying from it versus with it, possibly. And you had the information about masks, how they weren't very effective or effective at all, or maybe even had the opposite effect as they wanted to uh, when you come to cloth masks. You had data and information coming out, facts coming out about the vaccine. Even the manufacturer would say this doesn't stop transmission and it doesn't stop you from catching it yourself. And uh, even though you had those facts directly from the manufacturer, directly from the CDC, the people didn't buy it. They didn't believe it. They honestly did not believe it. They really followed their feelings. They followed this narrative that, oh, well, you have to get the shot if you really care about other people. If you really love people, you want to take care of them, you need to get the shot. And uh, again, it had nothing to do with the facts. The facts were, if you were a healthy individual and the vaccine worked exactly the way they said it would, where it just lowered symptoms dramatically, then that actually would not be a selfless thing to do. Because if you're a healthy individual and you mask all your symptoms, 
it, but you can still catch it and transmit it, then you're much more likely to, if you catch it, to transmit it to people that are at risk and are vulnerable and you wouldn't even know it because you don't have the symptoms. And so that's fairly selfish to keep you who have, you have this tiny, small risk of getting hospitalized from this thing. And uh, in order to clear that risk, again, if the vaccine worked the way that they said it did originally, then in order to clear that risk, you are putting all these vulnerable people, vulnerable people around you at risk. That's selfish. That's not selfless. But it was marketed as selfless. If you care about other people, you do this thing. And that is what the majority of the populations around the world uh, decided they would follow. And this is because it's not about logic. It's not about rational thinking. It's not about critical thinking. It's not about the facts and the data, um, at least on the level of the commoner. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a little different on how that is applied at a mass scale from a rulership level. But uh, overall, on the level of the commoner, the common person, it's about feelings. It's about this immaterial aspect of it, that you want to be part of a group. You want to be a part of something greater than yourself. You want to do good in society. You want to look out for, for your fellow community members and these kinds of things, all these feel-good things. That's what it's all about. And that's why COVID played out the way it did, because this is the age that we are in or we are heading into. I'm just going to go ahead and call it this is the age we are in. I think we are at the beginning of this age. And this age, again, it's ideational, it's immaterial, it's rhizomatic. It's all about data and information and psychological control. These things are the immaterial versions. So if you go to the Panopticon, that was a physical building that also had these psychological components. And uh, that's a good picture of what the age of economics was as a whole. Well, in the age of science, it's Foucault's panopticon, where he applies the concept of the panopticon to a society writ large, and how you can uh, basically manipulate a society into manipulating their own behaviors, censoring themselves at times just because of these psychological effects that you can have on them based on using technology and using culture and using all of these things. And that's what's going on today, where if you can control the narrative, you control the news, you control the media, you control Hollywood, you control these things, or at least have some strong influence behind the scenes on the types of narratives and agendas that they're pushing, then you control the society because that's what you're doing. You're building this immaterial panopticon through culture where people are always feeling like they're being watched. They're stepping on people's toes. They have to watch out to not be politically incorrect or they'll get canceled, all of these kinds of things. It fits with this idea. Now, the technology of the age of science is computing and genetics. That Those are the main technologies, and they really go together. You couldn't really have genetics on the level that we have them today without computing. Uh, but it's I'm trying to bring out this fact that even though it's an immaterial aspect of changing nature, manipulating nature, creating our own virtually, it still does tie into the biological through genetics mainly. And this is something uh, that really is the manifestation of changing nature. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But uh, this is the idea from McLuhan about the optic technology. So he said that uh, we had 
optic technology that was being put into a haptic society. So again, it's optic, it's audible, it's immaterial, it's uh, left up to interpretation. That is the, the, the internet. That is the computing world that we live in. That is the technology of the technological society as it has evolved into this age of science. That's where it's at. And it's, it's all about pictures and videos and memes and clips and things like this. It's not a newspaper where it has clear words. You can always reference back to it. It's always going to be the same. Those words have very specific meanings and everything is uh, very straightforward. It's very linear. It's very material. Uh, No, that's not this age. This age is different. And this age has this optic technology of media and of computing and Um, all of these types of things, and uh, even video and radio, these kinds of things. And these have been put onto a society that was much more haptic. So again, the age of empire was very haptic, very material. The age of economics still had a lot of that. People still thought in a much more logical, rational, uh, straightforward, linear fashion. And people that thought outside of that way and that structure were kind of on the outskirts. But the latest few generations are, again, shifting into a much more pure, immaterial culture. And uh, part of that, at least according to McLuhan, has to do with this technology. That technology was introduced in the boomer generation and the generation before, and it was starting to have its effects on the culture. And so again, going back to Ted Kaczynski, where the technological society itself manipulates man in order to serve itself. Well, uh, whether it's like that, and uh, you can connect it that way, you could even say it's intentional in that way if you want to apply an entity there. But you can even just go to McLuhan. That is just a natural evolution that as you have the technology change to being more audible, more optical, more immaterial, then the culture will automatically change. The medium is the message. And that's the whole point, that it's the type of technology, it's the type of media and medium that are being used. Those are the things that change the society, regardless of what the content is. It could be the exact same content, it could be the opposite content, it could be a mix, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that when you have a technology that is oriented in this more immaterial fashion, the culture will necessarily shift into a more immaterial culture. And that's what he was calling out at the time. And that's what's happening, where the technological society now rules over man. The shift that will be upcoming at the end of this age, and we'll start to see the echoes of uh, now, this is the shift towards transhumanism. This is the idea of evolving humanity beyond just mere human, the way that we are today. And it's using computing and genetics. It's genetically modifying humanity as well as augmenting humanity through the technology of computing in order to have a better version of humanity. It's gen- it's a uh, eugenics 2.0. That's all it is. It's an immaterial, digital, virtual, computeristic version of eugenics. That's what we have. That is transhumanism. And that is what we are shifting 
into as we work our way through the age of science. Now, this might be hundreds of years or thousands of years even, or the way technology progresses, the ages start to shrink in as far as their time frames are concerned. It could be decades. I really don't know. But that's where everything is pointing towards, is towards transhumanism. And with transhumanism, the idea is that you could upload your consciousness into the cloud, into the World Wide Web, into the internet, whatever, and somehow house that in a virtual world. Or you can live your life in a mixed reality where you are at times in this virtual world and at times in the physical world. Or you can augment the physical world with the virtual, where if you're wearing certain lenses or you get certain augmentations on your eyes or brain chip of some kind, and you can just walk down the street and you look up and a digital label appears above a building. And you can even think or point or make some signal or do something, whatever it may be in that technology, where you can basically click on that thing and more information pops up that you are seeing in real time as you're walking through the physical world. But it is this virtual layer that is augmented on top of the physical, and it's creating our own world. The world is not what it was. And when you can add these layers to it, they are virtual layers, but they are very real. They are just real in an immaterial sense. They're not physically, materially real. They are immaterially, virtually real, but they still have an effect on the person, on the society. They still have some sort of uh, structure and uh, some sort of uh, meaning, and they have influence. And with that view of uh, the future and where we are headed, I'm actually just going to end this episode. I will leave it with you there. So hopefully this has brought you up to speed with where we are in today's world, where we are headed, why we are here, why things are operating the way they are, how we can see these patterns to double check ourselves. So even though there was this idea of, uh, let's say, the sensate to the ideational culture and how these uh, exist and patterns, um, that in and of itself can be assessed. But if you stack on top of that the idea of Gemeinschaft versus Gazelleschaft, and then stack on top of that the idea of an optic versus a haptic society, stack on top of that the immaterial versus material-oriented society, stack on top of that the secular versus religious society. Again, if you're stacking all of these things on top of each other, like I have done in this episode, like I covered in the previous episode, I covered them more individualistically there, and now I am stacking them all together. And if they all are lining up, all in the same way, and they are all reinforcing each other, they are not causing conflict here, then I would say that it's probably a pretty accurate framework here that we are working with. And if they are accurately describing the current world that we live in, our modern society, and the majority of these people were writing at least in the age of economics, if not some in the age of empire. So uh, they were not only telling their time, they were telling the time to come and the time to come after that. So again, if these patterns are real, and it seems like they are, they do stack, they do all correlate, they do all correspond, then that gives us a pretty good picture of what's coming and a pretty good idea of why society today is what society today is. That also gives you some great pointers out as, as to how to apply uh, what you want 
uh, what your goals are for yourself and your family, how you approach this in in the modern society. Well, you're not going to use data and logic and facts if you are trying to apply that on a macro level. That's not going to work. But if you can control a narrative and push a narrative, start a group, have a community, these are the types of things that work in this age, in the age of science, in the immaterial age, the age of uh, Gemeinschaft. This is the effective way to implement and manifest the things that you want in your life, in your community, in your society. And so by better understanding, we can get the right tools so that we can have the rhetoric. So again, you have all these individual things. And you could look at whether it be just the individual aspects of our current society, how it's structured, how people are acting, the technology that exists, the data, all of these things. That would be the grammar aspect. And you could do the same thing with the historical cycles and patterns like I looked at in the previous episode. All of those, those are all the grammar. Those are the building blocks. Those are the basics. Then the logic is how do all of those things work together? So let's get a good picture of society as a whole. How do all these different aspects of our society uh, work together? How are they connected together? And what effect do they have as interconnecting units, so to say, just like I am applying these cycles and patterns, connecting them all together. What is the logic of that? How do they work together? And what does that tell us? How can we better understand? That should give us a good picture, a good understanding. That's the idea of logos. That's the idea of logic, putting all this together. And then you have the idea of rhetoric. And so how do you apply these things? How do you use these things in order to achieve certain goals and certain ends? Uh, How do you manifest? these things. Uh, that's really where the the import really is, the value really is, is in the rhetoric. How do we live our lives? How do we uh, put forth action? How do we use our resources in a way that are effective for our goals and desires? What What is a rhetoric that will work? How do we apply this rhetoric to our modern age? And hopefully, This has put us in a position where we can start to get an idea of that. And that is the goal of looking at all of this stuff. Number one, it's just super interesting to look at the history and better understand things and see these patterns. It's it's just really cool. It's very, very interesting. But as we can apply that, we can get the logic and we can start to use that as rhetoric, then it's no longer just an intellectual exercise. Now it's something with practical application. It's something that we can use in our own lives. And that is overall the goal of all of this. That's the goal of this podcast. That's hopefully your goal in listening to this and other things that you're listening to and reading and being a part of. So with that, I will end here as I threatened to do about 10 minutes ago, and I will actually do that. Thank you for anyone that is giving monetarily to this show. I really, really, really appreciate it. That is how I get this show going. And that's what pays for hosting fees and resources and all of these kinds of things. So thank you very much for doing so. If anyone else would be willing to, it would be highly appreciated. There are more things that I want to do, but they cost money and I don't want to pay for them. And for various reasons, I'm at a time in my life where I don't have uh, the luxury of a guaranteed income right now. And a lot is up in the air. And so with that, if you are willing and interested in supporting the show financially, please do so. You can do that on Patreon or on Subscribestar, or you can do it by sending a check or cash or sending crypto. There are lots of different options. Just reach out to me and I will walk you through that. 
rfoundations at protonmail.com. Also reach out if you have any feedback, if you have any questions, anything like that, comments. I love hearing from you. I put out this show for you, the listener. And so hearing from you, the listener, definitely makes that job a lot easier. So thank you very much for listening. Please leave a rating or review if you haven't done so already. Come back next time and we will get into the future, the modern age and the future age, talking about concepts that came from Vin Armani, Michael Vlahos, Uh, Julianne Romanello and Allison McDowell. And I think you will really enjoy all of that information as well. And it will make a whole lot of sense coming after the previous episode and this episode. All of this is really piecing together nicely. So I will be back next time. Hopefully you will be here to listening. Until then, I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.